Welcome to Mike's Notes. Today, we're going to look at Michael Mobison's two-jar model. I recently finished Michael Mobison's book, The Success Equation, which is all about trying to figure out the weight of skill and luck in any set of outcomes. And the book is really interesting. Mobison relies on a variety of domains to explain his theories and ideas. And he explains some things that initially I found a little complicated, a little hard to understand, in a really clear and insightful manner. And I enjoyed the book. Today on the podcast, we're going to look at just one snippet of the book, and that's the two-jar model that Mobison introduces in the book. So imagine this. Any situation that you're going to be engaged in, that you have two jars that you can draw from. One jar contains all of the skill you have for this activity, and the other jar contains some bit of luck for that activity. So Things that you have experience and things that you've done a lot of, your skill jar is going to have higher values, and your luck jar is going to be based on whatever the activity at hand is. This framework, this model, takes into account a wide range of draws. So, for example, Serena Williams has a skills score so far beyond mine that if I tallied my best skill draw along with my best imaginable luck draw, she, at her lowest skill and worst luck draw, would still be so much better than me at tennis. Tennis is an activity that is much closer to the skill end of the spectrum. No matter how good I am or how lucky I get, I would still never beat Serena Williams in tennis. Compare that to managing a soccer game or a soccer match. Soccer is more toward the luck end of the spectrum, and if I were to go up against the greatest manager in the world, the chance of me coaching to a victory is much better, though still not good. Unlike my afternoon of tennis, I could prove to be lucky enough to win, because the range of luck values in managing soccer is much wider than the range of luck values if I were to play Serena Williams in tennis. Before we dive deeper into some examples and attributes of skill and luck, let's get rid of any platitudes that might be around in motivational posters. Luck is not something you can control, and Mobison directly addresses this in the book, writing, There is no way to improve your luck because anything you can do to improve a result can reasonably be considered a skill. In an interview with Kara Swisher, Bill Gurley talked about his early experiences as a technology analyst. Gurley said that he was lucky after he arrived at a company because the people who had the jobs above him soon left. There was nothing Gurley could have done that would influence when those other employees would leave their jobs, but he got one of those vacated positions because he went home after he found out they were leaving and he wrote up a report to submit and prove as the credentials for why he should get one of those jobs. So we can see that Gurley's experiences as an analyst also lie on the skill luck spectrum, where Gurley got lucky that the opportunity presented itself at the company he was just hired at, but there was also some skill in his analysis that proved he was right for the job. This spectrum location is really ambiguous. 
Mobison writes in the book, Most of the successes and failures we see are a combination of skill and luck that can prove maddeningly difficult to tease apart. This brings up the question, is it valuable for us to figure out where we are on the skill and luck spectrum? Is this all academic or is there something that we can really apply to our own experiences and processes that brings value? To put it another way, so what? So what? The reason that we think this is valuable, the reason that Mobison uh, writes about in the book, is that because depending on where you are on the skill and luck spectrum, you can do things and you can focus on different areas and you can have a different sequence of events and activities and verbs, things that you do, that will increase your chances of success, that will put your results more in line with what you want. So, for activities that are more skill based, like Serena Williams in tennis, a foot race, or a game of checkers. You can, Mobison writes, rely on specific evidence. Quote, history is a useful teacher, end quote. Small samples are okay when you're at the skill end of the spectrum. Deliberate practice and checklists work too. If you think about the area of surgery, that fits the skill area really well. You can rely on a sample size of one, the patient that you're operating on. You can determine a course of action just based on looking at that patient. Surgeons have also done a lot of deliberate practice to get better at their task, and they use checklists to ensure that they're doing the right things. At the other end of the spectrum, for activities with more luck, like roulette or the stock market, we can adapt a different mindset to get the best results. We should be wary of small samples, Mobison writes, because there's a lot of variance in the data. If you look at the counties in the United States with the highest cancer rates, you see that small counties both have the highest cancer rates and other small counties have the lowest cancer rates. It's all because of a small sample size. Activities with a lot of luck also have much faster mean reversion. You get back into the bell curve or normal distribution much faster. One of my favorite games to play with friends is this board game called Settlers of Catan. And this game involves rolling a pair of die. And we always remark at the end of the game whether it was a normal series of rolls or not. When you play this on an app, you see the distribution. And it's always interesting to check when that distribution is not clustered around 6, 7, and 8, but is really in the outliers. And if the game has an unexpected outcome, usually that normal distribution helps explain what it is. For these kinds of activities, base rates are also a really good guidance for what normally happens. Okay, so that's the two-jar model. Let's see it in action. First, we'll look at what Bill Belichick does with the New England Patriots. Second, we'll look at Stephen King's experiences with process and practice. And third, we'll see what Louis C.K. does to make television shows and comedy specials and how that fits in the process and practice. For each of these people, we will look at their process, so the things that they do that they focus on the preparation and not the outcome. Process, Mobison explains, is really important for activities at the luck end of the spectrum. You don't know what your results are going to be because of the influence of luck, so you can't use the results as a guiding indicator. You have to focus instead on the things that go into the results. 
The second area we'll look at for each of our individuals is the practice, that is the skill level of the spectrum. And we'll try to think about what do they do specifically that leads them to good outcomes? What can they do that they can control and get better at that'll improve their draw from the skill jar? Ready? One. Football, Mobison writes, has a luck factor of about 50%. It's between hockey and baseball as far as how much luck is involved in the game. I'm not sure how much Belichick knows this, but he seems to understand it. If we look at these two areas of process and practice, we get something that is very in line with what Mobison writes about in the book. So first, process. This is a clip from the NFL film Do Your Job, where Belichick talks about a loss to the Kansas City Chiefs. When I walked off the field that night, I really felt good about the team, even though we'd gotten, you know, smashed. I felt something about the team that night in the second half that I really thought we can build on. Anybody that wanted to cash it in there could have cashed it in. We weren't going to win. We were behind. We're on the road. Their crowd was in a frenzy. Uh, the Chiefs were playing very well. But I could see the fight. I could see the team's emotions in the game. I felt good about their toughness, their competitiveness, that they cared, that they really played with a purpose, uh, and they cared about each other. Okay, if we have this, then we're in the end, we're going to have a chance. Even though the team lost, the process was good. The things that they were doing, the intensity they played with, their competitiveness, their toughness. You hear Belichick mention all of these things that they want the team to do. And so even though uh, they had the disadvantage of bad luck, that the crowd was into it, and the disadvantage of drawing a lower luck number than maybe the Kansas City Chiefs drew from their two jars, that Belichick noticed the process was still there. So even though this was an outcome that had some luck involved, maybe 50% of it was luck, the process was there. But that's not all. Belichick is also a very focused student of the practice, of getting better at the things you can get better at. This clip is from the NFL film Do Your Job, and it's about that final in Patriots interception of the Super Bowl against the Seattle Seahawks, and how the team had practiced, how they had focused on the skill parts of their game in preparation for the Super Bowl. Let's go, Rob. Let's go. What's funny is if you look at the play, Browner is having a conversation with Malcolm and he's telling him exactly what he's going to do. I'm going to jam this guy and then, you know, we told Malcolm, just go. If you remember, Malcolm's matchup was really a curse, but Browner had seen enough of those pick routes. He anticipated what was coming as well as Malcolm. So he was like, let me get up here and jam the point, you go. Malcolm had seen that in practice. Butler had seen it in practice. He just didn't stop it. The inside receiver got off the line and up into the end zone. Malcolm didn't really have enough awareness for the play, so he had to go all the way around behind the receiver and the defensive back, and there was just too much space. It was an easy touchdown. So the coaching point was if they're close enough together, then you've got to be ready to get over the top, and the defender on the inside guy has got to jam him so that he can't pick the corner going over the top. So we see here with the Patriots in the things that they could control, that is the things where the skill of the players mattered. 
that they practiced that specific thing. They practiced the play that led to the interception that essentially ended the ball game. So while there is skill and there is luck in football, we can work on the things that are skillful and we can build good processes for the things that are more luck-based. Let's move on to our second example, Stephen King. Two. No one knows what will be a bestseller, not even Stephen King. He told Rolling Stone magazine that his best book was Lizy's Story. That one felt like an important book to me because it was about marriage, and I'd never written about that. I wanted to talk about two things. One is the secret world that people build inside a marriage, and the other was that even in that intimate world, there's still things that we don't know about each other. So writing a bestseller has a fair bit of luck to it. So King trusts the process. He focuses on things that only he can do. In his book on writing, he jokes that he only takes off three days a year, Christmas, July 4th, and his birthday. But he doesn't really take those days off. He says that just makes for good interview copy. Instead, he says that when he's writing, he writes every single day. So while the outcome of the book is highly dependent on luck, King works on the practice, and that is writing and reading every single day. But just like the Patriots can practice plays and get better at them, Stephen King can practice and understand the craft of writing. When he was interviewed about learning the grammatical rules, he said, When we name the parts, we take away the mystery and turn writing into a problem that can be solved. I used to tell students that if you could put together a model car or assemble a piece of furniture from directions, you could write a sentence. Reading is the key, though. A kid who grows up hearing, it don't matter to me, can only learn doesn't if he or she reads it over and over again. That's part of the skill of writing, understanding the building blocks of language. So, with Stephen King, we see that he draws from the two-jar model. King's skill jar has really high values. Part of the reason it has high values is because of his deliberate practice, because he looks at the rules of grammar like they are directions for assembling a piece of Ikea furniture. So if you understand those things, if you get those skills right, your skill value increases. But King is also susceptible to the luck jar. Some of his books haven't sold. Let's move on to our third example, Louis C.K. In the Judd Apatow book, Sick in the Head, Apatow talks to a lot of comedians and entertainers, and one of them is Louis C.K. This section was from his interview with C.K., and this is what Louis said about creating a new act. I thought, I'll go out and do another hour. Creatively, I've got an empty vessel, nothing in it. How do things cluster together? I thought about these things scientifically, like this documentary I saw. When you snap your Achilles tendon, they put like a fiber on there, and your body starts to coat it with tendon material. And then Apatow House says, and it grows around it? And so Louis says, yeah, it grows around it, because something's there, when there's nothing there. So I thought, how does that apply to my act? How do I build an hour when there's nothing there? And so I would go on stage with five minutes of improv, 10 minutes. Now I've got a really strong 20, so stop doing it and start at five again and build another 20. And I've got 40 minutes now. I can do 40 minutes. I'm not doing the LA clubs anymore. I'm going to Horatio Hornblowers in Ventura or the Wolf or whatever it is. Those clubs, you know, people are eating steak. There's a little more pressure. And try to turn that 40. It's like the way they make yogurt. They take a lump and put it in milk. And it fills it up, fills it up. 
go on stage with not quite enough time and with the pressure of headlining and turn 40 into an hour, just out of necessity. I've got an hour now. I can do an hour. Make it great. And then decide that that hour is shit and I need twice the material. Do a second hour. Fold it in. I worked so hard on that stuff. I don't know if I have the balls to do it that way anymore. So Louis's process also incorporates the luck that he's going to need. He takes his material out into the clubs in bits and pieces and grows it as he sees what people react to. He can't plan the perfect material. B.J. Novak said that when he was writing in The Office, you never knew if a joke was funny or not until an audience heard it. And that was part of the reason that Novak was doing stand-up while he was writing on The Office. He was trying to figure out what jokes were funny that he could take back to the show. Louis is doing the same thing. He knows that there's luck involved in the presentation of stand-up comedy. So he's trying to get out there and do this process to take five minutes and grow it into an hour. But Louis also is a believer in the practice when it comes to the skill side of the spectrum. This is an interview he did with Charlie Rose to promote his new show, Horace and Pete. Here's what I hear. I mean, you know, you rate stand-up the best. Uh, acting and getting not only good reviews, but also um, more and more roles. You're now a director. Yeah. You are now a producer. Yeah. You mounted this whole thing. Yeah. I mean, do you come to some sense, I can pretty much do whatever I want to? Well, there's a million things I can't do yet, but that, thank God, you know? Yeah. I mean, you want to be able, you want to keep trying, you want to get more, it's like if you're in the Army, uh, a friend of mine was in the Army uh, back in the 80s, yeah, uh, late 80s, and so he would just go to, like, he took his little platoon as a sergeant, he'd go like, let's go to jump school, let's all just go to jump school, yeah. And they go for, for, you know, he was a, he was a uh, uh, what do you call it, um, reserve. Right. So on his weekends, instead of sitting around playing uh, ping pong, they go to jump school. Let's go to jump school. And then they got a patch for jumping. Yeah. Then they go, hey, let's go to meds, let's go to uh, medic school. So they all got rated as medics. And they got this big bunch of patches, yeah. all these things, skills that he's packing his head with. Unfortunately, then a war broke out and he was sent right <laughs> to the front. <laughs> like, look at all these skills you have. <laughs> and he didn't. We need you. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So he had to do all this stuff. But anyway. But I mean, the world. I like in patches. It's like being a Boy Scout. And then you can all of a sudden, you can do that. You know, like in, um, what's the movie? Matrix. The Matrix, yeah. When there's a helicopter and he says to her, do you know how to fly a helicopter? And she goes, wait a minute. And they just loads the program. <laughs> now I do. Well, anyone can do that. It just yeah. takes longer. You can just load a program. So now I know how to create a multi-camera drama and mount it the same week that I shot it. Whether Louis C.K.'s show, Horace and Pete, will be successful will be an outcome of how he draws from the two jars. How he draws from his skill jar and how he draws from his luck jar. But we can see here, in the same way we saw with Stephen King and in the same way we saw with Bill Belichick, Louis has built up the values in his skill jar. He's adapted this merit badge type approach to building skills, to distributing things on the internet, to marketing to his newsletter. Those are all things he can control and those are all things he did. And he also understands from his experience as a stand-up comedian that you have to just believe in the process and understand that sometimes you won't get lucky. Horace and Pete is a really different show from the other shows Louis has done. He wanted to do it differently, but he used the same process in writing and experimentation and understanding that you can't perfectly predict what the audience is going to like. You can't predict what is going to 
go viral on the internet. So you have to just trust the process. So where have we gone today? Everything we do has some mix of skill and luck. Any little thing you can do is skill and you should use deep work and practice and checklists and a merit badge approach to accumulating the Legos and the building blocks to get better at those kind of things. Anything you can't control is luck and you'll be well served to focus on good processes rather than whatever outcomes occur. Any outsized returns are a combination. After the 2015 NBA Finals, Zach Lowe wrote, Yep, the Warriors got lucky. They suffered no major injuries, beat teams that did, and got through the West without facing the Clippers or Spurs. Guess who else got lucky? Every team to ever win the championship. Pick any playoff season, literally any season, and you'll find multiple injuries that tilted championship odds. Sometimes those injuries were minor, temporary dings to a few key role players. Sometimes they were career-threatening injuries to stars. Hopefully in this episode of the podcast, I represented Mobison's two-jar model in a good way. The book, overall, was really powerful. And like I said in the introduction, Mobison takes these, these big ideas that seem like they can really help you understand the world, and he explains them in an almost beautiful way. I really enjoyed the book, and I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Thanks for listening. Make like a tree and get out of here. It's leave, you idiot. Make like a tree and leave. You sound like a damn fool when you say it wrong. All right, then, leave. And take your book with you. <laughs>